And it's a joy to be with you. It's a joy to be able to dive into God's word together this morning. So, well, family, welcome back to another guided gathering. Uh, welcome really into what God is doing in our family right now, too. And if you were with us last week, you know that we started a series called Sovereign. And we're going to look at how God is sovereign over everything. And it's cool that even in a time of, of chaos, what it feels like in our world right now, that the gospel is being proclaimed all over the world. And you might not have realized it, but two weeks ago was Easter, and we actually heard more testimonies across the globe in one day than at any time in history. That how God takes a situation that seems so terrible, and how could he turn it for good? There were more testimonies of his goodness shared on that one day than at any day in history. And so I want to encourage you, be part of that. Share your story on social media, online, wherever you can. Get the word out that God is still moving and he's active and he is doing good things. And so this morning, we're, we're going to actually continue in that series called Sovereign and look at how God is sovereign and who he is. And last week, uh, Tori started us out with looking at lamenting. That our God is so big and so sovereign and so in control that we can actually take our emotions straight to him that he can handle them. I think you even said he's a big boy. He can handle our emotions. And so we can express our emotions to him. And in that we turn and we find our salvation in him. And we looked at Psalm 13. And so if you didn't listen to that, I would encourage you to go back and watch that sermon. It'll really build onto what we're going to today with how we can not only turn from our emotion and expressing that to God, we can actually remember who he is. And so this morning, we're actually going to be in Romans 8. It's a big passage. There's a lot of truth there, but we're going to mine some nuggets out together there. And so I'd encourage you, go ahead and grab your Bible, pause this video right now, wherever you are, and go to Romans 8. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. The usher will bring one to you. Parents, get your kids to bring your Bible to you, okay? It's a good lesson for them. Um, Don't get your pet to do it. It'll probably destroy it. So... I want to encourage you, start out in Romans 8 with us today. And so we want to kind of look at this big overarching truth in Romans 8. And I want to give you this quote to start out with. It's from a guy named R.C. Sproul. It's a great lesson for us today. And it is, if God is not sovereign, then God is not God. If God is not sovereign, then God is not God. And so we have to remember who he is. Some of you are saying, I don't even know what the word sovereign means. It's okay. We're going to get there. And we're going to do that together. But we have to remember how big he is and how he is sovereign, which really means that he's over all things. And if he's not over all things, then he's not really God. That he is who he says he is. And if he is who he says he is, then he is sovereign and over all things in all of creation. And so as we've looked at how we can lament and take our emotions to God, this week we want to look at how we can really take our questions to God. Mm -hmm. How we can go from looking to him to express our need and our emotion. He's actually big enough to handle our questions as well. And all of us have, have had these moments in our life where we said, why God, right? Why, why, why? Why are you doing this? What I want to argue today is that when we're saying, why God, when maybe we're screaming, why God, after we've gotten off a bad phone call, maybe we've gotten a doctor's report, maybe we've gotten a call that somebody was in a car accident, maybe we realize we just lost our job in the midst of coronavirus, and we're saying, why God? I think what we're really asking is, who are you, God? Mm-hmm. Who are you right now? Can I trust you? Can I count on you in this moment? 
Because when we're saying, why God, it's not just saying the circumstance is happening, but it's saying, I feel like this relationship, this thing that you and me have has been violated. I don't understand. Mm. So I want to know, can I trust you? And so my prayer for you today as we go through the scriptures that you to be able to see who God is more than answering why he does what he does. Because there are many questions that I have as a pastor that others have that we will never know until we see Jesus face to face. But I can trust in my God's character and I can trust that he is good. There's several passages that we'll actually start out in where we, we look at how God is described as good. We how we need to turn to him in our trials, but that can be really hard. In fact, Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Man, that's a really hard verse for me to believe sometimes. When I see my bank account, when I see how low gas prices are, when I see things going on in the world right now, I'm thinking, God, how are you good? In fact, we can be desensitized to verses like this. We just say, you know what? That's true for somebody else. Or maybe God, you know what? You're over the whole world and you're over this coronavirus thing, but maybe you're not actually over me. And we make the big things his and not the little things like us really important in our world. Or we look at a passage like James 1, which talks about how uh, we're encouraged to endure all suffering, brothers, endure trials of many kinds, count it all joy, even James tells us there. But in that, I don't count it joy when even my friends have lost their jobs right now. I don't count it joy when I'm experiencing frustration or confusion. When I'm in lamenting, I don't count it joy. Even though I know that God's real and I know that he's my salvation, I don't often count it joy. Or if we look even 4,000 years back, they're struggling with the same things then. We look at the story of Joseph, a character in the Bible that gives us a lot of perspective of how to trust God through many trials. And at the end of his life, he has an opportunity to actually take out the people that hurt him. And in Genesis 50, 20, he reminds us that what the enemy or what they meant for evil, God turned for good. Man, I don't always believe that. I don't always believe that God's turning things for my good and for his glory. But today we're going to look in Romans 8, and my prayer is that you would see how he's turning those things for good in his sovereignty and how he is sovereign over all. And so as we look to understand the context of these truths, I think it's really important for us to understand why God can say he's good. Why can he say that he's good at all? And why does Paul and Moses, everybody, all these big names in the Bible you've probably heard of before, Why are they saying God's good when I see how broken and messed up the world really is? And so first, let's just define together how God is sovereign and what it means to be sovereign. And so first, to be sovereign is really to be in absolute authority, that God is over all things and he is in control. So if we're saying there's a sovereign king or sovereign Lord, it's that they have absolute authority. They can rule. Even as Texans, we think we're a sovereign state, right? We can do whatever we want to do. Probably not true. But in that, we see that there's an idea of being sovereign, of being in control, and you really don't have to answer to anybody. God is sovereign. He is in control. And right now you might be saying, you know what? Well, last week, Tori said, I can cry to God. And this week, Adam, you're talking about yelling out, why God? But but where do I go with this, right? Like, am I in my emotions or am I just stuck questioning God? Or can I actually find answers? And so we can find answers today in his word. And so we're going to look at four ways where God is sovereign over us and sovereign over all things, really. 
And when we say sovereign, it helps me and it might help you to, to think of God as king today. And if we look at reigning, just like we sang a few minutes ago, how our God reigns, the word reign like that, R-E-I, that reign is actually how God is ruling. And so that reign word is actually listed in the Old Testament 290 times. But 259 of those are actually past tense. That someone reigned, but then they died. Somebody else reigned, and then they died. But all the others are talking about how our God reigns forever. And then in the New Testament, it's used 21 times. And almost all of them are talking about how God is going to reign forever and how Jesus is on his throne, even right now, reigning and ruling over us during this time. And so number one, the first way that we see that God rules and reigns is that he is sovereign over creation. In fact, we can look to him and we don't have to see why he created. The Bible doesn't actually give us that in the beginning. Genesis 1 wasn't, doesn't say, well, this is why God created the world, but it tells us who created the world. In the beginning, God created the world. And so we understand that our God is a creator God and that defines who he is. And so when I scream out, why God? Hey, I can remember I'm his creation and he's the creator. I can remember that he is who he says he is and I'm not creator, right? And so in that, I can look to him and see how he's over things. He is big. He is huge. Isaiah 46 tells us that God says, I am God and there is no other. That's it. It's just him. And so when we look at this word of who he is, we, we can also understand why we want control. Because in Genesis, we see that we are created in his image and we want to image him. And we're asking and pleading for our own sovereignty. And so if you've ever grabbed for control in your life, which is everybody, raise your hand at home, I know that, you're actually anticipating heaven because you want to image your father. And in this fallen and broken world, we're reaching out for a piece of heaven. We're reaching out to image our father who is in control. You've been made in his image. And as frustrating as it is, and you're probably looking at your spouse right now like, hey, you want control? No, I want control, right? Like we all are fighting for power but really he's the absolute sovereign. He is the one with the power. And so as you anticipate and even fall on your feet and trip here and there and how you live out this life with God, remember that you're anticipating heaven because he says that we will reign with him and rule with him. You will actually be sovereign with him one day in heaven. And so for all of us this morning, we can then look at him being sovereign over creation Often, I don't give myself permission, though, to ask why, God. I don't give myself permission to say, God, where are you in the midst of this? Why have you done this? And when I don't do that, when I think, you know what? I've been saved like 20 years. I should know this already. I don't want anybody in my community group to know that I'm struggling with doubts. I don't want anybody in our church to know, hey, I'm wrestling with, God, why are you doing this right now? What I'm actually doing is minimizing God's sovereignty, I'm minimizing how I can depend on him and really lean on him during a time like this. And so I would encourage you, it's okay. No matter how long you've been saved, if you've been saved two months or 20 years, ask these questions today. Take your questions to him because you can trust that he's sovereign and he does have the answers. We, we want to know who he is when we're asking out, why are you doing this, God? And so to understand how we're going to reign with him, I want to encourage you to go to Romans 8, 
15 through 17. And we're going to look at how we actually are as adopted as sons and daughters of God. And so we're going to start there this morning in the Word and look at Romans 8, 15 through 17. So I'm going to have my buddy Jacob read that for me this morning. Hey, Well family. My name is Jacob Gritty. I'm a covenant member here at The Well and also a CG shepherd of the East MLK Community Group. Today I will be reading Romans 8, verses 15 through 17. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are our children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thanks, Jacob, for reading that. I want to encourage you this morning that as we look at God as creator God, and we know that he's sovereign over all creation, that we can also look to him as our father. And and really, number two is here that he is sovereign even over our suffering. And how can I trust a father in the midst of my suffering? How can I trust that really Romans 8, 28 is true, that he's working for my good and for his glory, is that even in the midst of suffering, I am a son. And I don't have to fall back into slavery. I don't have to fall back into working for his favor and his love, but I can trust that he is my father. That even in the midst of suffering, when I don't feel like it's good, when I'm lamenting, like we talked about last week, I can actually look at my father in heaven and know that he loves me and he is sovereign over me. Some of you are parents, some of you aren't. For those of you that aren't, maybe maybe the closest example to what it means to be sovereign is actually being an owner of a pet. Okay, I am my dog's sovereign. He depends on me for everything. He depends on me to when he can get out of bed. He depends on when he can eat. He depends on me for everything. And in that, do I like my pet? Yeah, he's okay. But really, he exists for my enjoyment. He exists so that I can go on a walk with a little fluffy dog and feel good about myself, right? He exists for my glory. And it's actually when he's doing good that I get the most out of my dog, right? And so when I think of him in that way, it helps me understand, man, God is sovereign. And this is how small I am. But yeah, if my dog's suffering, do you think I would care to take him to the vet? Some of you are like, no, Adam, you ain't going to care to pay that vet bill. You're too cheap for that. But no, I would, hopefully, right? I would want to take care of him, and I would want to make sure he's okay. That is a really simple example of how we would want to have our Heavenly Father take care of us. If that's how we take care of our pets, shouldn't we take care of our children and our families much more? And if we're doing that, how much more does God want to take care of his sons and daughters that he's actually adopted in? It's not just that he treats us like sons and daughters, because if he treated us like sons and daughters, then we would actually not have any authority in him. We wouldn't reign with him. We wouldn't rule with him, like Romans 8 tells us right here. But because we've been adopted, we have new names. We have new identity in him, and we're able to be wrapped in and adopted and grafted into his family. And so when you're in the midst of suffering, when you're in the midst of saying, why, God, who are you? Can I count on you? Can I trust you right now? Remember that he's actually your father and that he is working 
for your good and for his glory. And he wants to walk with you in this. And when we suffer, we can then thank to the glory that is to come. And so I'm gonna have my friend Chris read how God is sovereign in our suffering. And so Romans 8, 18 through 25 says this. What's up, everybody? Uh, my name is Chris Henry. I'm one of the community group shepherds for the Soul Lab community group. Uh, myself and my wife, I also serve with the worship team uh, and on the creative team as well. Um, I miss you guys all dearly, but I'm happy to be able to read some scripture today. I'll be reading from Romans 8, verse 18 uh, to 25. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. There's so much here that is true and is good and points to how we can relate to our Father in heaven. I think one of the biggest things for us to understand is where God is and where we are. We are in the midst of creation. If he is creator, God, man, he is above us. He is outside of us. He is supernatural. He's outside of the natural. And yet he enters in to be with us and relate to us. And so when even creation is groaning for the adoption of us, celebrating creation, the mountains are going to rejoice when we recognize that we are adopted as sons and daughters. Mm-hmm. And that we will not look at this suffering here on earth the same way but we will be able to endure with hope, hope that is done in patience. And so for us to recognize, man, our God is not just sovereign over creation, he's sovereign even in our suffering. So many of us have been desensitized to the suffering of this world, whether it be cancer or car wrecks or different things going on. Man, not just coronavirus, but all the things going on in your family before coronavirus hit. All the things that have seemed really small lately, You've probably minimized them and compared to what's going on around the world saying, hey, it's probably not as big of a deal what I'm going through. But the reality is that God's sovereign over your suffering, but yet he wants to give you hope. He wants you to have hope with patience to wait on him eagerly. And when you're asking questions of God, where are you? He is waiting on you. And he's waiting on you to walk with him in relationship with him. That you would consider the sufferings of this world, as Tori mentioned earlier, less than the glory that is to come. That as we look towards heaven, we would see how big and how wonderful our God is. And we know that he's sovereign even over our suffering. And so I want to continue in Romans 8. And I'd really encourage you to go back and read actually chapters 6, 7, and 8. And they really tie together. So if you get time this week, I'd encourage you. Let's go back and read those at home or wherever you might be. 
quarantining right now, that you would read these scriptures and see how they build so that we can mine out these truths together. And so I'm going to ask my friend Christine to actually read Romans 8, 26 through 30, and we'll see how God is starting to bring this together for us today. My name's Christine Kim, and I'm a Covenant community member here at The Well, and my husband and I um, lead the North City. Uh, today, I'm going to be reading from Romans 8, 26 to 30. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what's in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Thanks for reading that, Christine. I want us to look at this truth, how God is, man, he's sovereign over creation. He's sovereign over our suffering. He's also sovereign over your story. He's sovereign over your story. And we're going to look at a character in a moment that really exemplifies that in scripture. And so when we look at our own stories, we have a lot of questions. We have a lot of questions where we're going back and saying, God, I don't understand why you did this. In fact, there's things we do not know. And so it's really encouraging for me and probably for some of you too, to know that Paul doesn't know something here. Because in verse 26, he says, we do not know what we ought to pray for. There is times right now, I don't know what to pray for. I don't know if I should pray for this person or for the economy or for the government or for our medical works. I don't know where to start. Maybe you've experienced a little bit of that as well. Maybe you have questions about your story and your past and you're saying, God, I know you're good. I know you're good for other people, but I don't think you were good here. I don't know. I don't have the answer for that. And God is sovereign even over that. And what we see here is that there's things that Paul doesn't know. There's questions he doesn't know. And if he doesn't know them, I'm sure none of us in this room know them, okay? But we see that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwelling us actually helps us pray. That God doesn't leave you alone in your questioning of him. He doesn't leave you alone without the answer. But he even intercedes and he teaches you how to pray in that. But he does tell us what we do know. And so in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, which they're facing right here, is that they know that God is good. And for us, we have often forgotten why God is good or what his good is. And so when we look at something like Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, man, how does Paul say that with confidence? How does he say that he knows this? How can I have that confidence? He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. That is a massive truth. It is huge for us to grasp. And it might feel like a little platitude that you've seen cross-stitch on your grandmother's wall. It might feel like something that is good for other people, but I'm telling you today, it's true for you too. Because when you're in Christ, you actually experience his good, and his good is so much better than we can realize. And so right before this, right after this, he tells us what good is. And when God defines good, it shows that he's sovereign and we are not. What you think is good is very small compared to what God thinks is good. What he thinks is good is that we actually know him. We have confidence in him. What he thinks is good really is that you are chosen. 
It's good that you're chosen. In fact, I think back to, to thinking this concept of, man, there's the one out there for you, right? Like if there was the one, then when I was getting married and getting engaged to my wife, Laura, then I could have just like said, you know what? I have to just find the one and that's it. I don't have a choice in the matter. But God has chosen you and me. And what's so beautiful about that is that like when I looked out across Texas State's campus and I said, hey, there's 20,000 other girls here. And I said, you're the one. I choose you. Man, that makes it a really beautiful love relationship because now I've chosen my bride. You know what? When God chose you and predestined you, that's a beautiful love relationship that he's chosen you. And you are chosen. And so really, we can know that we have confidence in him, that we know that he's good. We can know that we're chosen by good. Man, don't let somebody's poor explanation of theology mess you up on that. Like, you are chosen, and that is good. And we can also know, this is huge, guys, that we're destined to look like Jesus. Because right there after that, where he says that it's for his good, the ultimate good is that you and I begin to look more like Christ. That we're not stuck where we were 10 years ago in our walk with him, but that we become more and more like him. That we become sanctified to look like Jesus. That seems impossible to me. How can somebody as messed up as me begin to look like Jesus? That's God's purpose. That's his plan. And it is eternal that I get to reign with him and rule with him. Like we read in Romans 8, 15. Man, that seems impossible I'm asking, why, God, why am I now allowed to be a part of this? See, my questions have changed from, why, God, where are you? Who are you? To now, God, why do I get to be a part of this grace? And that his good, ultimately, is for us to experience good and that it would glorify him. So he is working for our good and for his glory. And so he is working in your story, guys. He's not done with you. I think back to the story of Joseph here, and we see so many parallels to Christ. See, Joseph, uh, he lived 4,000 years ago, and he was really in just the lowest of the low in his family at one point, and then he was favored. He was the favored son of his dad, and he was given a coat to wear, and he was honored among all his brothers. He had 11 other brothers, so there's 12 of them, and he was honored and blessed. And so they got jealous, and they actually sold him into slavery. And they mocked him and forgot him. They lied about his death to their own dad. And Joseph went on, and he went through slavery, and he actually became imprisoned and falsely accused for something he never did. And he was falsely accused, and and then he was let out of prison because the the king of the land said, you know what, I'm going to choose you, I'm going to pull you out of that, and I'm going to put you above everybody right now. And then he had an opportunity to get revenge on his brothers who sold him into slavery. And what he did in that moment is that he forgave them and he said, you know what, what you meant for evil. Can you imagine your own brothers, your own siblings selling you, selling you for a few pieces of silver so that you would then bless them in that way, but then you would be forgotten and left for dead? In that moment, he, when he had the opportunity for revenge, he remembers, you know what? God is over my story. I can trust him, and I can trust him with all things, and I can say, hey, what you meant for evil, God turned for good. And guys, look at Jesus. Man, he's the favored son in heaven at the right hand of God, and he chose to come down to be born as a baby and to live a sinless and perfect life. And God was sovereign in that moment. And God continued to be sovereign. As Jesus grew in stature, it says, and he began his ministry. 
and then he was actually rejected. And guess what? Joseph was rejected. They were both rejected as deliverers to their brothers, their own families. And Jesus was rejected by the Jewish people, and he was rejected to those that he came to save. And in that, he was even sold for 30 pieces of silver, just like Joseph was. And he was sold, and he went into prison even for a night, and he experienced all the pain of this world that you and I experience. But then when Jesus had the opportunity to be angry, to take everybody out, he actually gave his life freely for you and me so that we might have new life. And even hanging on the cross in the midst of his pain, he trusted the Father's sovereignty. He trusted that, you know what, I know you're over creation, Father. I know that you're over all my suffering I'm experiencing right now. I know you're over this story, my story, and it's going to bless everybody. And guess what? He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And in that moment, you and I get to experience forgiveness. And he didn't just die on the cross, but he rose again and gave life to many And if we look back at Joseph's story, Genesis 50, 20 tells us that it was meant for evil, but God turned it for good for the saving of many lives. And so when Jesus gave up his life, it was for the saving of many lives. And you and I get to experience that together. You and I have been grafted into the family of God because he has saved us and he is faithful to do that. And so when we look at how Joseph points us to Christ, we can remember these stories. We can remember these truths in God's word. And we can look at his word and we can find hope when we're crying out, why God? In fact, John Piper, uh, in his book that is really creatively titled, I think he covers a lot here. It's called Sex, Race, and the Sovereign God. Okay, I mean, Sex, Race, and the Sovereignty of God. I think he covered everything, right? I mean, I'm expecting a lot in this book, okay? But he writes this. He says, life is not a straight line leading from one blessing to the next. And then finally to heaven, life is a winding and troubled road, switchback after switchback. And the point of biblical stories like Joseph and Job and Esther and Ruth is to help us feel in our bones, not just in our heads, that God is for us in all these strange turns. God is not just showing up after the trouble and cleaning it up. He is plotting out the course and managing the troubles with far-reaching purposes for our good and for the glory of Christ Jesus. Man, that is so true. That even in our stories, even the pain we experience, that God actually takes our pain and man, he uses it like a paintbrush in our future and for the saving of many lives around us. And it's so good that he can take our pain and use it as an artist to creatively graft our stories. And so he's sovereign over our stories and ultimately he is sovereign over salvation. You and I have the assurance that he has saved us, that we are grafted into his family. We are adopted as sons and daughters. And so when we're crying out, why God? We can remember he's a father. We can look at who he is more than why he's doing what he's doing. Because there's questions that Paul had and that I have and that you have that won't be answered this side of heaven. But we can have assurance and confidence that we know without a doubt that he is working for our good and for his glory, and that we get to be with him forever and ever. And so when we look at towards the end of Romans 8, we see that he's telling us that he's convinced, Paul's convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That truth is what we get to stand on. 
When we remember that God is sovereign over creation, he is creator. When we remember that he's sovereign over suffering, we see that he's a good father. When we remember that he's sovereign over our stories, we remember that he is an author. He is the author of our stories. And we remember that he is sovereign over salvation. We remember that he is a savior and that nothing will separate us from his love. And so I want to encourage you this morning to take these questions, take these moments of why God, and to look at them sincerely and honestly in your life. That is, last week, as we encourage you to lament, that this week you'd take your questions to God and then not look at why he's doing it, but look at who he is. That you would remember his character in these moments and that his character would prove to you what he's doing ultimately. And so I want to encourage you right now. There's going to be a chart on the screen where you can look in and really see and write down maybe the lies that you're experiencing right now. And then you can write the truth about who God is. I want you to focus on the character and the person of God himself and how he's revealed himself in Christ to us as a savior who is sovereign over salvation. Would you pray with me today? Father, I thank you that we can process things honestly with you. That as Tori preached last week, where we can bring our emotion to you, you meet us in our emotion. And this week, Lord, as we bring our questions and even our logic to you, would you meet us in our questions and remind us who you are, that you are working for our good and for your glory. God, I pray that each one of us would see you as creator, as father, as author, and as savior. That when we ask why and we look around and say, what are you doing? That we wouldn't forget who you are. That we would remember that you, God, are good. And you are faithful to all your promises. And that we can trust that you are sovereign over us. And so, God, we give you this time where we reflect where we take these things that we've been experiencing, things we've been believing, questions we've had, would we respond with looking at who you are, remembering how you and your character proves faithful time and time again. And so God, as, as you author our stories, we ask that this would be a moment in time that we would remember that you are sovereign over our stories, that you are writing a story that glorifies you and that ultimately the work you're doing in our lives would we be willing to even share our stories, as we mentioned earlier, so that many lives would be saved? So that many would know that when they cry out, why God, they can look to a person and not anything else. The person of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your sacrifice and we thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.